Today, we have Jennifer Joyce on the show. Are you struggling to find the courage to ask for help? Jennifer Joyce knows that asking for help is a sign of strength and courage. She's been through difficult life circumstances, but she's found a way to come out on top. She believes in building a great team, and she's scaled her real estate business to 16 properties and over 3,000 units. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Jennifer Joyce before we start the show. Jennifer lives in the DFW area with her family. She's always been a problem solver and a hard worker from an early age. She's a big believer in building a strong team, and she also believes that when you need help, have the courage to ask. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Jennifer Joyce here with us. Jennifer, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is great. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how I know Jennifer. Um, my first passive deal, Jennifer was also a passive in that in that deal. And, and we met on location at one of the events. And um, I'll never forget, she, she just has so much energy. And she was like jumping up and down in front of the sign to take a cool social picture in front of the sign. And um, we both did very well on that on that deal. And um, I've seen her just, you know, kill it going forward. So uh, interested in, in what she's been up to. Uh, with that, can you share with the listeners how many properties and how many units you're currently invested in? Absolutely. Uh, we have just under 3,000 doors and that's across uh, 16 properties. Uh, so our assets under management are well above $150 million. Uh, and that first property where we met, that uh, that was me just checking behind the curtain to see how it all really worked before we, we went all in. Right. So, and, and you do. So share a little bit with the listeners. I mean, because I think that that's a common path that I did the same thing. You know, I invested passively before becoming a general partner in deals. And I think it's a great way to, you know, get to understand the business and um, and also how you want to differentiate yourself going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when you first come into this space, I think the biggest challenge for us was wrapping our heads around crowdsourcing or syndication. So we wanted to understand how you could pool money together as a group and then go and buy larger real estate. Uh, so that was really the enticement on my side because we had been owner operators for years, but our money kept running out every time we found a good deal. 
And so this was a way to finally scale for us, but we wanted to make sure there wasn't more than what we could see in the sensationalized version of crowdfunding dollars. So we wanted to jump in as a limited partner first. And really all I found is you're buying into a business that's attached to real estate. Apartment complexes are a business. They just have a storefront and they have units behind that storefront and they they offer a service and a product for people to buy and rent. And so we realized after we became limited partners that we were really investing in a business that was already cash flowing and they had a plan about how to make the business better. And so they were going to increase revenues, uh, save on expenses and uh, wait on the calendar to tick by and let the real estate portion of that business appreciate over time. They were going to let it happen organically and also by um, making the books or the financials better across the life of the project by increasing the net operating income, uh, which is revenue minus expenses. And so if you increase that NOI, there's another calculation that, you know, you use in business that says this business is worth this much money. And if you can make that number go up over time, that business is more valuable in the future. Absolutely. So I didn't realize you guys, so you guys were, you said you were owner operators before you got into to that deal. Um, explain what that, what that means. You were owner operators. So like most people, we started out. I'm guessing in a you were just on a smaller role. scale. Yeah. Yeah. We, we started out in single, single family, family okay. and then uh, we scaled from there. We had, I think we got up to about uh, 20 properties. And then it was time to step up again. So we started getting into small multifamily properties, but we were still cash constrained every time we did that uh, because you had to go work somewhere else, save all those dollars and then put them as down payments on the next piece of real estate. Uh, and we were trying to figure out a way to go faster, bigger. We saw this as a retirement path for us uh, while we worked in corporate America, but it never would happen fast enough to really replace our corporate income. So when we stumbled onto right. the syndication world in 2017, that was a game changer for us. It really changed everything. And since then, we this is all we do. We don't even work in corporate America any longer. That's fantastic. Now, um, with that, I have to Im imagine that there was a mindset shift that had to have happened. You, know, you were used to doing single family, and then you started doing small scale multifamily. But to go into the bigger world, even though you were a limited partner, there had to be kind of some kind of switch in your head that, hey, I can do this at a much larger scale. Well, I think there was a lot of those reassurances along the way, because one of the things that came with economies of scale is instead of remaining an owner operator who had to be the leasing agent, the trash out person, the maintenance and repairs, we now could leverage third-party property management for the same tasks. So now, right. instead of somebody saying my water heater's busted or my stove doesn't work on Thanksgiving, now they called third-party property management. And so then we're only consulted on the big decisions, you know, refinances, casualties, uh, occupancy across the board. If you have a single family home, go vacant. It's a mad dash to get it reoccupied. But if you have a hundred units, one goes vacant, you're still 99% occupied. So the, the urgency around yeah. single family kind of went away. And, and we had that piece of bringing in 
uh, some more help and in not just being the only sole person who had to make all the decisions and do all the work. So that's a, that's also been really great. Talk about all the pieces that you get to leverage by going from, say, you know, you said cash constrained, um, you know, doing single family and small multifamily. Now you go larger, you're doing larger deals. Um, you know, talk about how you're leveraging other people and in what capacities. So you mentioned sure. third party property management, you know, kind of just hit on some of the high level ones. So third party property management is a big deal. We also uh, third party wise, we also are able to involve attorneys every time. CPAs every time instead of us trying to squeeze the the purse strings all the time on a on a rental, now we can afford right. to have those professionals involved. Another big professional for us is our cost segregation cost segregation companies. They come in and do our assessment for tax savings. These larger commercial properties have quite a bit of depreciation that you don't see down at the single family level. And sometimes our invested dollars can be offset up to 100% uh, of what they invested in these in a, in a tax savings loss on paper. So that is a huge professional for us that entices people to want to invest or pool their money together. And then uh, internally, we've been able to hire people who work directly for us. So instead of me having to field certain meetings or calls, they call my team giving us, allowing us to, to buy our time back. So this is really why we started in real estate all those years ago is to buy our time back. Now the economies of scale are allowing it to happen. 3000 doors, we have quite a team that works just directly for me and my husband. And they're fielding all of the questions that we have as more of a CEO role. We're coming in saying, tell me the executive summary of what I need to know about this particular location. And how has it been going from a KPI's perspective? So even our corporate America days are coming back into play where we can take all of those skills we learned there and apply them here about goal setting and KPIs and metrics and really uh, work all the time on making the investor's dollars more valuable by putting a hyper focus on uh, uh, increasing net operating income on each business. Yeah, that's huge. So what, what did you do before you got into this? <laughs> uh, I've, in done it, I've, I've done it all, you know, uh, I, uh, You've done it all. I've done okay. it all. So well, that, that, that covers a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, was one of those kids that wanted to have a nice car. So I had three jobs at the same time. I put myself through college. I figured out if I traveled for a living, they'd pay me more. So then I could pay for college more efficiently. I could also invest in real estate if I made more money. So I kind of traveled around and did um, end user software training. Uh, and I worked in things okay. from Morgan Stanley, Smith Barney to uh, IT tech startups uh, in the insurance claims world. Uh, and so, you know, the short answer is IT. Uh, the long answer is I helped the really, really smart people talk to the people who clicked the buttons on the computer all day and couldn't communicate with one another. So I figured out how to be, you know, a mediator between those two groups and solve problems, you know, because the end user has a problem and, and the guy can fix it, but they can't seem to communicate how to fix it or why the business needs that. So we, you know, I flew all over the country doing that and I got very good at problem solving. Uh, and so that, that helped really well in real estate. I, I've always said that 
in the single family space, if you don't have a stomach for real estate, you should probably stay away uh, because you're going to (laughs) see all of the things you can possibly imagine happen in rentals. Uh, But when you get to the commercial real estate level, a lot of that that needing a stomach for it goes away and it's kind of replaced more by a professional setting. Uh, So then you're just a problem solver at a financial level or a corporate meeting level. And then you're asking others to give them their empowerment and say, how are you going to solve for this? Let me help you. What what ideas do you have so far? And so you can actually lean into your team, third party and not not third party, about how are you going to solve for this as opposed to how am I going to solve for this? That's very helpful, too. Yeah, I mean... You know, I think that that's great to share because, you know, look, there's people that have come into this industry from all different, you know, industries and backgrounds. And some people that are wanting to get in may be nervous that they have to have a certain background to come in. Um, but you mentioned, you know, problem solving, right? That's, that's definitely a key component. Um, and if you've done that in your industry, you know, solve problems then going into the real estate world, you're going to get to leverage all these other companies and experts like Jennifer mentioned, you know, so you're going to have a you know, tax attorneys, you're going to have um, bonus depreciation people that you're going to be able to leverage. You're going to have um, property management to be able to leverage. You're going to be leveraging the, the funds of other people's other investors. And, you know, then when you go to, you know, I, I, I can speak from my own example, I'm a business guy. I was not like a, um, you know, touchy-feely, creative, artsy designer, right? So when it came to changing out the office, I hired, you know, a a party, you know, a company that was good at that. And then they, they presented me with some ideas and some prices. And then I, I agreed and, and said, roll with it, you know, on the paint. I had a number of different people provide paint colors to me because um, I couldn't come up with it on myself. But then I was the final decision maker as to, yeah, roll with that or no, let's do something different. And um, so, you know, for the listener's benefit, you know, listen to Jennifer that you can come from a lot of different backgrounds and leverage the expertise of other people. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about that maybe on, if you can think about, like you're in a lot of different, you're 16 different properties. So maybe talk about an example where you had an expert in one property that, you know, shared maybe a rehab thing or um, that they did on another property that may have helped you or something like that, which that's huge. You, you know, you didn't have that expert experience and then all of a sudden you get to leverage the experience of others. Yeah, absolutely. And one group we haven't talked about is business partners. Uh, You know, part of me buying back my time is just not being the sole decision maker either. So if there's multiple people who are running the property with you that want an active role instead of a a passive role, uh, it takes some of the work off of you. But it also goes back to your statement about I'm also not the jack of all trades on these properties anymore, which means I sit mostly in my strengths and I partner with my weaknesses. So if I have a business partner who's very good at making relationships with people who can uh, source capital, that is that is a value that somebody brings to the team. If I have somebody who is in 
the uh, medical world or the IT world, and they know people with 401ks or large retirement accounts that are dabbling in real estate, those people bring strengths. Uh, my strengths really are legal, insurance, uh, rev ops, um, you know, making sure that the investments are growing, uh, finding ways to increase NOI on an operational level and dealing with casualties. I love casualties. Those are my favorite. Those are those are income producing activities. So um, but I want to spend a majority of my time there, which means I need to offset that with a business partner who loves, you know, talking to the investors and meeting with people who have retirement uh, investment strategy issues uh, and they're outward facing where I may be inward facing, working on the actual uh, property for them. Uh, so we become a superpower when we partner because I work in my strengths, they work in their strengths and together one plus one no longer equals two, it equals 11. It's very powerful. <laughs> that No, that's huge. And, and I think that people... Um, that aren't in the business, that are considering going active, they think that they have to do it all, right? And, and may get overwhelmed by all the different steps involved with syndication. But you can leverage the expertise of other partners too, which is a, which is a great thing that you brought up. I love that. So you guys also bought, I don't know if you're still focused there, but Talk about some of the markets that you've pur purchased in, because I know, I know, for example, Amarillo, you, you, you purchased in Amarillo. So tertiary market, not a major market. Talk about uh, the difference between the two and where you guys are focused. So we started out uh, uh, actively investing in Amarillo because we saw the heat that was around the Dallas-Fort Worth market. And being a new syndicator, we have a lot of track record from from our non-syndication days, but uh, in this industry, they want to see track record in the in the lane you're in. So we took that in a humble way and said, let's go somewhere easier than Dallas-Fort Worth. So we started out in Amarillo, and then that gave us track record to go down to Houston, and then eventually we came to Dallas. We also own in Lubbock, Tallahassee, Augusta, Tucson, and uh, we're about to close uh, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina this summer. So we are no longer constrained by being in our backyard. <laughs> I have to give Jennifer some props here because like that's in what, two and a half years, three years? Yep. Since January, 2020. January, 2020. Holy cow. That's crazy. You guys have been lightning since, since then. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. And we've really enjoyed it, uh, you know, because... We just love this. We, we, uh, I left corporate America the previous year uh, and uh, realized that IT was not for me. It was just a way that paid my way through a lot of things and really wanted to work in my passion. And so real estate has been there all along through all of those years. And so I told my husband I wanted to make it the main thing. And he's always been extremely supportive. And little did I know he was going to leave his job several months later. But uh, this is all we do. Uh, and so part of our lightning speed That's was fantastic. we did it. We did it how I wouldn't recommend. We left corporate America too soon. We should have, you know, waited until at least one of our salaries was completely replaced with commercial real estate. But uh, we didn't have that option. The pandemic showed up uh, March of 2020. And uh, because it was our third economic correction, we saw 
opportunity when others saw fear. And so we just thought we were going to go slow like everybody else and do it at a pace that we could handle. And instead, we realized it would be another decade before the opportunity presenting itself would be in front of us. And we didn't want to wait another 10 years for that. So we just went to work. Good for you. So talk about like, you know, look, there's a lot of different markets, you know. So how do you get comfortable um, going into different markets? Uh, Well, our strategy is we always have boots on the ground. If we're going to tackle a new market, we want somebody local. And that's just from our historical days, we've just always been close enough to be able to touch the real estate, right? So we're now leveraging business partners that are there. And so we get a comfort level with a new market because we partner with somebody who's near that market. Uh, I'm the closest person to Amarillo, which is four and a half hours away, but I can be there by lunch. So in my mind, that's close enough for me. I only go there a couple times a year now because the property is just humming with revenue. So there's not much reason to go up there. There was in the beginning, and usually the first year is a little heavier than other years. But now we're leveraging other people's time. It's very precious to also have business partners. I agree. But why is the first year? Um, The first year. So one of the ways that we increase uh, the revenue of the business is at the front end, we set aside a large account for capital improvements, basically like your HGTV channel uh, with a whole bunch of zeros. So we come up with a construction plan to increase the value of that property by making it a better place to live. So we'll do things like replacing the roof or the paint outside, putting in amenities like a playground or sprucing up a pool. Uh, We'll install Wi-Fi that's property wide, and then we'll go inside and we'll do marble or granite or stainless steel appliances or better paint schemes, better floor plans. We'll spruce up the leasing office, the laundry room, Things that make it a better place to live and then bring in community around that. We create a community event calendar to then use those infused dollars in construction over to resident events of where we're creating fellowship between the neighbors over time. So they never want to leave. They love living there. So anytime your house gets fixed up, most of the time, by the end of it, you're happy that it's nicer. Uh, And it's the same concept for somebody who's a resident. They want to live in the best part of town, in the best unit that they can at the price they can afford Uh, because they're busy building their futures. But while they live there, there's no reason why we can't treat them like a family and make it a good place to live. And then the happy customers, it means they stay. Right, exactly. So in the beginning, you know, from, from the general partner standpoint, um, general partner is, you know, hiring the ge- the general contractor that's going to be doing the work on, and it may be one, you know, major, you know, general contractor that's going to be handling all the different projects, or they may divvy it up and and have different contractors do different things on the property. But the the general partner or the general partnership team uh, will oversee that and make sure that you know it's being implemented and, and the rehab happens and it looks good and tenants are happy with it and all of that. And then once all that is done, then it's more reliance on the property management company to, you know, get the rents that you, you projected and to, to manage the numbers. 
Um, so that first year, there could be a, a lot more visits than in future years. Yes, absolutely. Hey, you talked about um, community, and I'm glad you did that. Some people may not understand, you know, the value to creating community. Um, you started to hit on it, but maybe share a little bit more on why you think that, you know, it's a, it's a good investment. So it's not everything is dollar for dollar revenue. Uh, some of it is um, indirect. And one of those things is community events, community activities, um, loving on your residents. Uh, this became hyper-focused. It's something we wanted to do where we got to play the angel nobody knew about behind the scenes that just loved on residents. It became a really big deal during the pandemic where they couldn't leave their unit. And so we got really creative about how can you love on someone that you cannot meet? And we did things like uh, sign up for um, free pizza on uh, April Fool's Day. And as long as they pre-registered with us, we fed them. And we repeated it on Cinco de Mayo and did tacos. Uh, we also do burritos to go in the morning, stop by the office and get a burrito. Uh, that's stuff that we could leave by the front door. They didn't have to interact with a person because it wasn't possible at the time. We also had to pivot with Easter. We had this huge Easter egg hunt planned with all the kids and then we had to cancel. The churches were just not able to even have their doors open. So we pivoted and we did door decorating contests and we had the residents posted on the Facebook page and they all voted on who the best Easter door was. They went outside their door, they made it beautiful and they went back inside and then we went electronic. So, and we also, through the pandemic, probably learned more about families than we did before. We knew who had a family member on hospice, who had a family member going through cancer. So then we would bless those people with a surprise drawing where the, the contest was rigged and we helped out a family without them realizing that the ownership group was listening. This is stuff that we did because we wanted those people to know that we've, we notice you, we see you. We just also need to stay anonymous ourselves because we don't need credit. We don't want credit. We just want this to be where you want to live and that you feel like you've got a sense of community around you. We've taken that further and done turkeys on Thanksgiving. Um, we've done Father's Day flashlights. We've done Mother's Day roses. Uh, you know, we just find mm. and we, we actually created a 12 a month calendar with things as simple as uh, Jelly Bean Day or, or National Popcorn Day. There's always a way to constantly bring a sense of home or community back to these apartment complexes when technically we're responsible for hundreds of thousands of families without their knowing. So we think about them. We think about our staff. We think about our investors. And we always try to find new ways to think about them more. So it's not just a money business. It's also a humanity business. Absolutely. And, you know, some people have a heart for, you know, creating that community and uh, other people, you know, maybe it's not their natural inclination, but I will take that, what you, all those things that you were saying and translate that back into dollars. Like, so if say you're a listener and you're like, well, sounds like a lot of wasted money, right? Well, think about this. If those people stay, right. And, 
then next year when their lease comes up, the retention rate is significantly higher than the, than the property down the street. You don't have to renovate that unit when that person leaves. And then all of a sudden you have to repaint it and reclean it and fix anything that's broken. But if they stay, then there is nothing in addition to do. So having a high retention rate is, can significantly impact your, your dollars, your, your financial health. Um, so building that community and building a place where people actually love to live, not only is it great for humanity and, and heartfelt, but it also translates into, you know, uh, better NOI and better profitability for the property because less people are leaving. Absolutely. Creating a sense of pride uh, in, in their residence is, is worth more than, than having $200 more in rent when you have to spend possibly 3500 to 10000 to turn that unit based on what needs to happen when somebody moves out. Right. So, hey, what, what's, there's a lot of fear in the marketplace right now, right? Interest rates are going up, inflation's going up, you know, uh, people are worried. Like there's all this talk about a recession, you know, we might be in one or one's coming. Like, so what's your outlook? Are you still bullish? Are you still looking to buy? Or are you kind of, you know, uh, just yeah, hunkering down? Uh, I'm still bullish. I'm pickier when I buy. Uh, but remember after the 2008 oh. crash, all the true money was not made until 2010 and 2011. So when our correction has finalized, the, the people who are going to make the most is still coming. It has not happened yet. All we've been doing is riding this craze for the last couple of years, and everybody's been doing very, very well. And so it's making everybody's resume look very, very good. But the true operators are going to be the ones that take you through both the highs and the lows. And so those people are going to bubble to the top here in the next few years. And the people who maybe didn't didn't anticipate that the market changes on a regular basis on a eight to 12 year cycle are going to get surprised. The people that anticipate that it's running on a cycle are going to prepare. And so that's the only difference is, um, are you gonna use this as a, a, str- a strategy or are you going to use this as a, I'm sitting out and my money's going to uh, lose value sitting in a checking account? It's their decision, whatever they feel most right. comfortable with. But uh, we do have quite a few people in the space that have just been riding the the peak of that mountain and they may not be prepared for that valley. So talk about, uh, you, you mentioned that word a few times, prepared. Um, talk about, you know, how do you prepare in a, you know, for a storm, for a, for a downturn in the economy? How do you mitigate that risk? Part of the way we do that is what we said originally. We're going to increase NOI. We're going to appreciate those properties. We're going to appreciate those businesses. What that allows us to do is have more exit strategies. You never want to be forced to sell. You want to be able to sell when you want to. So if I have multiple strategies at, at a time like that, Possibly getting away from the adjustable rate mortgage into a fixed rate product is better 
for the property and the investors. So if we can position the property for a cash out refinance, we can actually pull some of the equity forward while we still own the property and give the investors back uh, a percentage, if not all of their initial investment. And then the property is still owned and it can turn into more of a infinite mailbox money situation where if we were paying rate X and we have to lower it to rate Y, it's no longer off of something that's outside their checking account. Maybe we've given them uh, some, if not all of their money back through a cash out refi. Now it's becoming infinite returns. And if we're headed for economic downturn or cash flow constraints, wouldn't it be nice to still have a check showing up every quarter or every month? Uh, so we're looking at ways where if the property is still a good business in a good location and it's performing well, we're going to try to hold on to it and just pull equity forward through a cash out refi on better loan terms. The other way is if it's met its, its business plan and it's time to sell, we have to take into account the fact that it could take a hit on price. You know, if you sold it six months ago, it'd probably be a higher price than it is six months in the future. But if you've done all the right things and you've executed that business plan and it's time to sell, your investors are still going to get more than their initial return or their initial investment back. And so that's a win. They can't all be home runs. Sometimes they're base hitters. But all of that money has continued to grow while they put it into our world, which is multifamily syndication. Yeah, and I think that, uh, so for us in the space, we completely understand um, that cash out refinance um, potential exit strategy, but for, for some listeners, they, they may not understand, well, there's a different, you know, there's a different tax implication also between whether you do a cash out refinance versus sell the property. If you sell the property, whatever your gain is, you're going to have a tax implication. Um, and then you're going to reinvest whatever the, the you know, whatever you made, less the taxes you got to pay on it, and you're going to reinvest that. But in, in the in instance where they do a cash out refinance, that's a non-taxable event. So, you know, any money that you receive back is not going to be taxable. And then that's where, she, where Jennifer's talking about the infinite returns. If you invested $100,000 into the deal and then... Um, Jennifer and her team increased the NOI such that the value of the property went up and they were able to do a cash out refinance and provide you back that 100000 Well, now all your, your distributions from that point on, you don't have anything that you have invested in it because you got your 100000 back. So that's where the infinite returns come from. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's what we're trying to go for is uh, uh, if we're headed for, you know, a season where it just makes sense to go into an operational winter, we kind of just make sure we run the property through this this rocky road and come out the other side of it in a few years. What can we do to still service our investors who are a little nervous and yet we're very calm because we see all the opportunity behind the scenes that maybe they're getting blasted with the, you know, the all the feeds from the different channels and, and it's just overwhelming where we live and breathe this stuff in the good times and the bad times. So we have strategies for all of that. Yeah. And, and you know, investors are they can have some money in real estate and some money in the stock market. And, you know, all of a sudden they take a 
you know, 40, 50% hit in the stock market. And then they're, they're nervous, you know? Um, so they don't want the same thing to happen on their, on their real estate portfolio. So, Hey, talk about, um, we didn't talk about this before you start, we started hit record. So I hope that it's positive, but either way, share. I know that at one point you guys were talking about going the fund route. So did you do it? And what was your experience? Yeah, absolutely. So we have fund number three going right now. Holy cow. Uh, we, Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's behind the scenes. So sometimes when our offerings come out, it's uh, one property. And sometimes when they come out, it's multiple uh, so yes, we love the fund structure. Really the reasons for that is the way we structure our funds, which not everybody does this is we make them as close to what people are used to as possible. So they have the bonus depreciation through cost segregation. They look a lot like an, a limited partner or passive investment. They usually have a, a preferred return, which is you accrue money on your money every year that it's out. Whether we have to backfill that or not depends on the market, but we still owe it. And then sharing the upside at the sale. Uh, for some of our retirement account holders, it's, it's better for them to have a higher um, preferred return with no uh, upside on the sale or a refi. But we, that's, that's a very rare situation because we try to convince them to go the other direction where they're going to actually have higher multiples on their money over time if they look at it. But some people still, from a retirement perspective, care about cash flow more than anything. Um, and so the fund's uh, strategy is to be as similar as possible, but uh, uh, actually give them better diversification for when things go awry across multiple cities. So if we have a really great asset in one market and the other one is struggling, what if you had only invested in one? The fund actually allows you to invest in both and benefit from the good and bad of both. Uh, what we've seen is we can then take multiple properties and maybe this one's cash flow constrained, but th very good upside. The next one is very even kill. It's going to do great. It's just going to chug along the whole time and just cash flow like it should. But then we have this other one over here that's going, to, it's all 100% non-renovated units, it's going to have $300 change in rent once they completely uh, renovate that property and make it beautiful. It's going to have a whole new uh, professional residential profile that's going to come in and, and live there. And so that one's going to have major cash flow. And the three of those combined make a better investment than just one by itself. So that's really the reason that we've been enjoying the fund is when a property or a business has a problem, we can offset it with another property or business. And those combined helps every investor just perform better in that investment. So let me ask you, um, I've seen funds be set up in different ways. Some, some are blind funds, so you raise the money ahead of time and then um, the general partners decide which assets to purchase after the fact. Um, and that gives you a benefit to you know, with the brokers and, and potentially with the sellers because you already have the funds or, or a bulk of the funds already raised uh, versus another syndicator who has to raise the money in the next 60 days. Um, some will actually identify the properties ahead of time and, and share that with investors. So which way do you go with it? 
We do both. So we have a blind fund that's multifamily both. only. And then we have a fund that has three identified assets in it. Uh, and there's a there's another hybrid out there called partially blind, where you know a couple of the assets you're going to buy, but maybe not the final assets that you're going to buy because you're looking for that criteria to be met where there may be a gap or a weakness in one of the other locations. So we have done blind and identified funds, and uh, they both have their benefits and their challenges. Uh, it's very much a sophisticated way for an active uh, partner to operate. So I would definitely suggest somebody who's interested in starting a fund to partner with somebody who's a little bit further down the road than they are as a business partner and somebody who's a passive investor that's looking at a fund. You just want to underwrite it the same way you would uh, a particular property. You want to see the business plan unfold. You want to look at the numbers behind the numbers and make sure that in the at the end of the day, it is passive investor friendly. You know, just like we have uh, business friendly states or uh, tenant friendly states, you want it to be in your favor, the limited partner, the passive investors favor. Uh, so you don't want to see a ton of fees, uh, just like you don't at the business level. You don't want to see, um, you know, where they're incentivized to to do things that you wouldn't normally do in your uh, investment strategy type. Uh, so you, there's plenty of options out there. You don't have to go with the first one that's presented. So if it doesn't meet your normal criteria, then I would look for something that looks that's better for your investment strategy. Um, but yes, we love both. We still direct assets, syndicate and do funds. Thank you for sharing that. So I would add something that, you know, maybe you disagree and, uh, and that, or maybe not, but there's certain people, certain syndicators that I would probably pay higher fees. I would, I would be okay as a passive investing in certain syndicators deals because of their experience and their track record. Um, then maybe lower fees with somebody that's less proven. So that is just, you know, my personal opinion, but so I don't, I don't think you can just, just look at fees. You have to look at the expertise of the, of the, you know, the general partnership team as well. No, I totally agree with that. If, if, if everybody's making money and they've proven it before, there's nothing wrong with people taking fees. Uh, what I'm talking about is 5% here, 3% there, 2% over there. And, you know, you add all that up and what's the incentive for the limited partner at that point. But yes, if somebody has paid you uh, a wonderful multiplier on your money in the past and they want to charge a higher fee for the next investment, they've already proven to you that you're going to make money, not just them. But yes, the people who do this right. and do this right. well, they, they want to be able to support their, their own internal payroll. They want to get better systems for you, better, better software tracking <laughs> devices, uh, watching your investments for you. So uh, also the higher fees usually equates to you know, more stuff for the investors at the end of the day. That's a great point. You think about like I was I was just thinking about it in terms of like, okay, some senior guys that have been in the business for a long time, they, you know, they have waterfalls. So that when, you know, after a certain return, 
instead of it being 70, 30, 70 of the passive investors, it go, it'll go down to 50, 50. And, and so part of me is like, okay, well, that senior guy just wants to make that much more money. But part of it is they have a bigger payroll and they have more systems and they have, you know, a higher cost basis potentially also. So that's part, part I think there's probably a little bit of both. Um, so, hey, but they paid their dues to get that experience and that, and that credibility and that track record. So. Absolutely. And usually in those waterfalls, you're, you're exceeding a certain IRR on your money too. So just make sure it aligns with the investment strategy. If you always want to see a 13, a 15, or a 17 IRR, as long as the waterfall is after whatever your investment strategy style is, then they should be compensated. They are incentivized to outperform your criteria. All right. Well, well, well said. So talk about when, look, you're... You were a little girl at some point, like you're such a go-getter now. Like how did you think that that was going to be the case when you were young? Did you already know? You know, it's, it it has a lot to do with parenting. I think, uh, I had a, I had a mother who had never couldn't accomplish anything. If she wanted to go outside and make this tree look um, Japanese, she would take a chainsaw and she would just go do it. If she wanted to put up a brick fence instead of a wood fence, she would just go do it. So for me, I was, I had modeling around that if you just set your mind to something, you go do it. There's never a pause about, is this scary? Never a pause about, can I? It was, she just did it. So then it modeled for me that if I wanted something, I would just go do it. Uh, And so I'm hoping that my kids are getting that same thing from me and that when I want something, I work for it. I show them, I model it and I just go do it. And so I'm hoping that that does become generational and they pick up on that. And anything they want to do, they just make it happen because they never question, can I or should I or is it scary? They just went and did and got the got the lesson either way. Everything has a lesson, whether you're successful or you're a failure, there's a lesson there, but you will never know if you don't do it. So uh, I'd rather just have the answer and know. (laughs) So I've just always been this way. (laughs) That's great. So you you saw it modeled, um, you know, as a, as a kid. Look, I think it could go both ways, right? You could, you could, see your parents always scared and that can motivate you to not be that way. Um, and, Absolutely. but you had it modeled the other way where, where you saw, you saw her doing it, um, which was fantastic. Um, you know, talk about fear. Do you not have any fear? You don't seem like you have fear. You just, you just seem like you charge full steam ahead. Um, but sometimes people on the outside look that way and inside they do have some fear. So talk about fear and how, do you have it? And if so, how do you press on? Everybody has it. Uh, one of the, you know, usually when you get to this level, you've personally developed in some way, whether it's books or gurus of that nature. But one of the things I heard a while ago that I've really latched on to is if you need to have a moment, just don't go over 10 minutes. You know, if you need to bawl and cry and, you know, be feel sorry for yourself, you can put a time cap on that. But you can still have that moment and get those feelings out. 
and really, I seek counsel a lot. If I'm concerned, I seek counsel because I'm not supposed to be the exer- expert any longer in all areas. So if the fear with shows who? up with anything, uh, so, you know, uh, I can look at the Bible and get advice. I can call a friend and get advice. We have peers in this industry that will help anyone. This is a very friendly industry. We have people that are one step above us that'll pull people behind them up the mountain. Uh, we can go to gurus or mentors. We can ask them. Um, and so we can still, you know, talk to people that we highly respect out there in the world and say, I, I just need some help or I need some understanding. And people will help if you ask. The, the biggest challenge I think I had for a long time was asking. Asking was actually harder than fear. <laughs> and so, you know, when when you grow up around a mother uh, who's fearless or can do anything, the other side effect of that is you've never asked for help. So my husband and I went through a life of it about 15 years ago, and we had to ask for help. We couldn't do it any longer on our own. And so that was a humbling experience because before then we never asked for help. We just figured it out on our own. And that really showed us that if we can get past our own mindset, we can, we can ask and people will help you generously. It's just, can, do you have the courage to ask? Sometimes do you, can you set your pride aside to ask? Uh, and so, you know, instead of living in fear, usually we are action oriented and we go find a way to get out of it. And if we can't get out of it on our own, that's an indicator to ask. I, I love that. And, you know, you said courage to ask, which, you know, it doesn't seem like you should have to have courage to ask, right? Like, eh, it should be easy. But to your point, our egos get in the way and prevent us from asking. And that is huge. I, I love that you brought all that up because I think for the listener's perspective, like, you know, I always say push past the fear you know, we're all afraid and people, I've had a lot of people on the show that have said that they were afraid and they, you know, thought to themselves, what's the worst thing that could happen if they make this decision? Um, but I also think like, ask, ask other people, ask other people that have done it. You know, like so many people are afraid to lose, but like ask all the people that have won, ask all the people that have made a lot of money, ask all the people that have helped all these people in these communities live in a better community, you know, ask. That's huge. I love it. Encouraged to ask. Yeah. Man, it's like you, you think that, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's great. I love it. Oh, man. Uh, talk about relationships and networking and how that plays into, you know, the, the way you go about your business. Relationships are a really big deal, uh, if not the only thing that matters here. Uh, this is something that if you're interested in having those connections to be able to ask, to find somebody who's a step ahead of you, to know what to do when you're fearful, it's all relationship driven. Uh, now, we're all incentivized to be very friendly in the beginning because in the syndication world, you need each other to buy large commercial buildings. But it's a great tone to set up everybody for the next 20, 30 years of having deep, meaningful relationships in a business setting and a friendship setting. 
So relationships, you want to be open-minded about the fact that you're going to be working with people that are not your personality type, which is what the world has really grouped us into these days. Really, the only way these partnerships work is if you partner with your weaknesses, which if I, I picked out some of my partners on a playground and said, you're going to be my friend, I would have never <laughs> picked the people that I've surrounded myself with, right? I would have picked somebody who's just like me and, you know, kind of bold and goes out there and does cool stuff, right? But I need the analytical person, the creative person. I need the people person. I need the the spreadsheet person. I need the project management person. Never in a million years you put me on a playground with those people would I've picked my business partners. But this is helping us personally grow how to do relationships better. Find out what the differences are and value and treasure those because it takes all of those strengths to equal a good, successful business. It doesn't just take one strength. So me by myself would not be where I am today if it wasn't for networking and partnerships and relationships. It's only because of who we have networked with and who we've built relationships with uh, since we started that has brought me to where I am today. So start going to groups, meetups, uh, Zoom lives, get to know people if you're interested in this space. Don't just read books, uh, meet people. This is very much a people business. Completely agree. And, and also don't take it personally. Right. Because, you know, look, if you're going down your lane and you you go to a meetup group and you meet Jennifer and and you say, you know what, I'm really good at legal insurance, rev ops, NOI growth. She's probably going to say, that's my lane. Like, why am I going to partner with you? Like, that's what I love doing. So I'm going to go. She may say, I'm sorry, but like, it's not a good fit. And then but you go to somebody else, you take that no and you. Don't take it personally. Just go to the next person. And they're like, oh, man, I don't even, I don't like touching those areas at all. And then all of a sudden you find your business partner. You find your fit, you know. So, yeah. so you have to get out there and talk to people about what you like to do and where your strengths are. And then find other people to, to uh, match up with that. You know, like Jennifer mentioned, find your weaknesses with other people. Yeah. And I would also say this is a, a no, not yet business. So maybe today I say, oh, you should go talk to so-and-so. They're looking for somebody like that. But tomorrow I go, oh, thank goodness you're here. I would love to take a step back and have somebody who's really good at this too on the team. So it's just take <laughs> right. everything as a no, not yet, <laughs> because today it may matter tomorrow. It won't and vice versa. So uh, everything, that's another thing, just because I haven't worked with certain people in the last five years doesn't mean we can't wait to work together. Uh, it just hasn't happened yet because of timing and uh, other business partners and things like that. It will. So we know that this is a that, longevity play. That's funny. And I think that that's part of the, it, it's not the only reason why, but it's part of the reason why this industry is so um collaborative and it's so giving of each other is that to your point, I mean, look, you, if you treat somebody poorly, look, and then all of a sudden five years down the road, that person's not going to partner with you. Right. And, but you treat them kind and help them. And then all of a sudden you never know what's going to happen down the road. And then two years down the road, you guys end up partnering together on something and people are extremely 
helpful and beneficial and collaborative in this business. And that's huge. So you have to let people know, you know, one, what you're doing, what you're good at. Absolutely. And that can evolve as well. Maybe I won't always say the same thing. Maybe later I'm known as a fund guru and now I'm right now I'm known as the casualty guru, but yeah, it evolves over time. So stay in touch with people. That's a great point. Great, great point. Talk about wealth building. Why is this business such a great wealth building business? Well, there are some of the people in this business love what they do for a living, but they want to know that there's a nest egg at the end of that journey for them. So the passive investor wants to make their hard earned money that they've worked so hard to achieve doing what they love they want to see it grow into something they can survive on and and more than survival. They want to live when they finally leave that passionate job that they love. They want to be able to live, enjoy their family vacation, do things later in life. And they want to partner with people that are uh, professionals in a place that grows money. The other part, what more? Uh, they don't love what they do, right? They're 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 um, they're dissatisfied at their at their current profession and they're looking for more. Uh, maybe like me, they went down a path of following the paycheck instead of pe- following the passion. So those people maybe find a home in real estate and they are rewarded above and beyond passive investing into an active share in the real estate transaction where they can earn additional uh, money off of putting together something. I know, Darren, that you said you weren't creative, but I see business as very creative because we're taking something that's <laughs> not not humming along or a little bit broken and we're going to love on it. We're going to fix it. We're going to recreate it and we're going to make it extremely valuable. So I feel very much like an artist just in business. And I think you're the same. So we're going to go and find a new passion by creating, making the business plan better, fixing that business and making making it look like something new at the end that we can be proud of that we can show people that it's, that we did that, that was me. And, you know, um, and so I think we are rewarded, not just on the passive investor side, because we all invest in our own deals, but also on the active uh, general partner side, where we're rewarded, not just for that tangible item that we can see that we made better, but we're rewarded uh, to be able to provide for our families. We're able to, you know, build up a retirement account for our our later years when we we were going to take a step back. And so this just becomes our new passion. uh, And and everybody in the world benefits from us being in a passionate lane, just like they do in their profession uh, while they grow their money elsewhere. Absolutely. I don't know if that answered Um, your question. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I think so. I've asked a lot of people about, you know, Older people, and I'm 52, but people that are older, older and wealthier, like, have you seen anybody save their way to wealth? Like, and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, just work in a corporate job and put 10, 20%, you know, away and have it just grow. And, you know, I have not heard many significant wealth stories like that. I've, I've heard, you know, it's people that have built a company you know, built a company, built value, and then later on they sold that for, you know, a big number. It, it's people that went to work for IT companies and they got stock options and, 
and they you know helped grow a company from a small company into a large company and they they received exponential you know wealth based on those stock options and here in the multifamily world i see you know the the it, all the leverage right so you know a, a lender is going to put 70 to 80% well, not maybe not eighty percent anymore, but um, sixty-five to seventy-five percent leverage down on a deal. But it's the equity owners that are going to receive all of the appreciation, and so the passive investors and the general partners um, receive all of that upside, and that is massive. And that leverage, leveraging other people, leveraging other companies, leveraging the lenders' dollars. I think is what brings massive wealth in addition to, you know, extreme tax efficiency in, in real estate um, brings massive wealth building opportunities that just are not available by putting 10, 20% of your money into the stock market. Right. Sometimes it's as simple as being connected to the right person just to hear the information. Cause I think as a kid, I had no idea you could make more than 2% on your money. <laughs> you know, I'd never you know? heard of such returns that I, at first I was kind of like, is this real? I mean, are, are you sure it's real? Exactly. Yeah. Is this real? And we're, we're both here to yeah. say it is right. I mean, yeah. but look, we were both in that, that first deal together and we both were, were there to see, is it real? Right. And to learn but like, is it real? And and it, it, right. and it is. Um, so in any event, um, you've done a lot in the last two years. What's your next big stretch goal? Um, my next big stretch goal is actually uh, building out the company to the point where uh, I am just working on acquisitions. Uh, and uh, it's a well-oiled machine. So that if we want to buy back our time, our kids are six and eight. We want to see the next 10, 12 years. We want to be there at all those <laughs> sporting events. We want to we want to help with homework to, uh, you know, a level that like sets them up for success. We don't want to miss out on that. Uh, we we realize time is precious. We learned that a long time ago. So our we're, we're focused on getting this to a point where it's highly efficient even if we don't step in the office except once a week. Um, and But we still want all the layers taken care of, the staff, the investors, the residents. We want everybody that our lives touch to be touched, even if we're busy raising babies. So um, that is the goal, our stretch goal over the next five years is to uh, scale back and, and win back our time with su such an amazing vehicle. That's fantastic. Hey, if, if people want to reach out and get to know you better, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can contact me directly. Like I said, we're a very friendly industry. Our website is www.jjcapitalinvestments.com. My personal cell phone number is on there. Uh, I talk to people seven days a week. We love this. We love helping. Uh, and so anything we can do to help you on your journey, take that next step on the mountain. We're happy and we're here. That's huge. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Listeners, look, here's another example of somebody that just went out and did it. Like, you can do it too. 
Um, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to her. Um, if you want to get involved in deals, she's doing deals. So um, I appreciate you listening. And until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 